on this, the first episode of the First Three Podcast, Love is in the Air. We are going to look at some of the interesting romance offerings from the spring season, including Bokuyaba, Himiwa Hokago, Insomnia, Skip and Loafer, and Yamada-kun 999. So if you somehow found your way to the first three anime podcast here, what is this show going to be about? Well, it's uh, going to be following anime's golden rule, which is that the first three episodes of any show should give you enough to formulate an opinion as to whether you are going to keep going with a show or if you're going to drop it. Now, does anime's golden rule work for every show? No, not exactly, but it is surprising how many shows it does work for. So what I'll be doing for you is giving you a little bit of a summary of what happens in the first three episodes of a show. We'll look at who's behind the production, and we'll just offer a little bit of analysis as to, you know, what uh, kind of themes are coming up in a show. And there will also be instances where we cover a show in its entirety. I already can't wait to do this with Witch from Mercury. And I'm also hoping that we can uh, touch on video games every now and then. I feel like I could already talk for hours about uh, Tears of the Kingdom. And hopefully down the line we'll have some guests on the show. Uh, but for now it's just me doing NPR voice here. Oh, and I guess that reminds me, I should probably introduce myself. Uh, I'm Michael Lee, and uh, I've been researching anime and anime fandom for quite a while now. I've got a master's degree from NYU. I spent my time there between the journalism school and the East Asian Studies Department. And my final research project was um, a look at the fandom behind Anohana. Back in the day, it was uh, all the hotness. And I was over in Japan. I went to a ton of different uh, events focused on the show, talked with a lot of the fans. Uh, it was a really cool experience. And uh, since then, I've written some things for Kotaku, Polygon, Anime News Network. But the real reason that I wanted to start this podcast was because it's really hard being a freelance writer these days when, you know, jobs are getting cut left, right, and center. Freelance pay rates are abysmal, and there's just so much uncertainty. When we look to what the future of anime or video game criticism might look like. So what I'm hoping is that through this podcast and through the Patreon that is attached to this podcast, uh, patreon.com slash the first three, um, we can start to build some kind of like, I don't know, like a fund that can be used to kind of like finance freelance writers' projects. You know, there's so many great ideas and great stories that could be told, but uh, when you're only getting a couple of hundred bucks for like a month's worth of work, uh, it's just not sustainable. So if we can start to really build something cool here um, and pay people what they deserve to be paid, uh, I think it would be a really great thing. So that's kind of why this podcast exists, and I hope that uh, you enjoy it. So let's get things started here on the first three with our first show. Uh, charming little rom-com uh, by the name of Skip and Loafer uh, from the manga of the same name by Takamatsu Misaki. So I wanted to kick off this podcast with a show that really does 
deliver in its first three episodes. Um, although it's interesting in that Skip and Loafer hits you in episode one with kind of like what it is and kind of everything about it that's going to matter. And in the subsequent episodes, it just kind of reinforces what you already learned in episode one. Um, so what is it? Skip and Loafer is your typical fish out of water story and we're introduced to our fish as it were, uh, Iwakura Mitsumi, who hails from the remote Ishikawa prefecture, which is way out there, um, and she is moving to Tokyo to attend a prestigious high school. Uh, her goal in life is to uh, become a politician and uh, so going to a school in Tokyo makes a lot of sense, and uh, that's kind of how it kicks off. And as uh, Mitsumi and uh, her fellow classmates kind of prepare for their first day of high school, um, some great little scenes, um, but what you immediately notice is how much of a very clear style this show has. The show is cute, it's very clean, um, and... Uh, Kind of the litmus test here is you should take a look at the uh, opening theme animation and if that does it for you then you're gonna like this show um, it features uh, just a perfect little dance between mitsumi and our uh, male lead uh, shima sosuke uh, and it's just one of the best little animated sequences um, i've seen in the last little while for sure um, a real winner, and uh, if, if that kind of catches your eye, then um, it's definitely going to be a show for you. So episode one has a very strong focus on Mitsumi. Um, she is a very headstrong, diligent, hardworking kid, uh, and she is the first year representative um, who has to give a little speech uh, on the opening day of classes. Uh, but she's running late as uh, Tokyo's subway system has proven to be too much for her and so she kind of uh, spaces out but luckily for her she runs into Shima Sosuke who just happens to be a classmate of hers who is also running late and the two decide to team up and uh, make their way to school together. It's a great, if a little bit stereotypical, uh, you know, first chance meeting of our two main characters. They make it to school just in the nick of time, and uh, Mitsumi is able to deliver her speech, though the uh, nerves of everything kind of get to her, and uh, she ends up puking all over her homeroom teacher, earning her the unfortunate nickname of The Puker. Um, but from here, the show kind of like gets into the groove of what it's about, and it's kind of the relationships between the different students. You have uh, Mitsumi kind of slowly coming out of her shell, though you can tell that she is pretty overwhelmed by all of this, this big city living where she came from a, a middle school that only had eight students in her grade. She's here in Tokyo, this thriving, huge metropolis. Um, but. Uh, one constant that she's noticed in her first day is that Shima Sosuke is also in her class and uh, he wants to be friends. So in episode one, you're, you get a lot of the, here's the scene, here are your characters, here is the kind of core relationship. It gives you everything and it's very nicely stylized. So it's a clean first episode that kind of sets the tone nicely for what is to come. So a lot of shows that um, we're kind of following with this first three rule here, they'll 
try to really drive home some kind of like plot elements um, and then they'll kind of expand the cast out a little bit give us you know kind of a full kind of picture of what to expect with this show but a lot of the business is done in the first episode there um, so for a lot of people it's gonna be a yay or nay right off the bat there episodes two and three just kind of like further draw you into the vibe of the show so it's a lot of meets me kind of reaching out to a different student kind of getting to know someone and while it certainly is like idealized the show does do a pretty good job of kind of capturing those first few uh, uncertain days uh, of a new school and kind of what that feeling is like so while the plot might seem a little bit by the numbers it's a setting that we've seen before it's a kind of a relationship dynamic that we've seen before but as I've said before what it really boils down to is that Skip and Loafer has a lot of style, and uh, that is a direct result of the person who is running this ship here, and that is Dei Kotomi, who is handling, directing, and a series composition, so really kind of overseeing some big significant chunks of how this show is going to run itself. And there is a great article about uh, Dei Kotomi on the uh, sakugaboru.com blog which is honestly a fantastic resource with some great analysis of the artistic side of anime uh, definitely worth checking out but they've got a nice little feature up on Dei Kotomi she's directed parts of uh, Kids on the Slope, Silver Spoon as well as Natsume Yujinsho or Natsume's Book of Friends she's a really steady hand and is able to bring out a lot of the source materials kind of vibe in the works that she is uh, responsible for directing or doing you know composition for or art direction for etc etc and so with skip and loafer what we've got here is a real good showcase for the kind of the style that she brings and it's really cool that under Dei, uh, her two chief animation directors are Igawa Reina and Umeshita Manami. So two uh, more women also working on this uh, show, which is uh, pretty rad that they're occupying such key uh, roles in the production here for Skip and Loafer. Though, because the show is really a focus on Mitsumi, um, it leaves Shima as a bit of a, an enigma, even to Mitsumi herself. She's always kind of wondering, like, what this guy's deal is. Why is this guy so nice to me? And um, we only get little hints that maybe being the hot guy in class isn't all it's cracked up to be. So just little little moments where Shima seems a bit down or he's kind of there's little things that are being teased out that maybe you know not all is as it seems he seems like a really nice guy uh, so hopefully it's nothing too you know awful or tragic or anything but uh, uh, just little little bits here and there so the, the focus really is on Mitsumi and her journey she goes to karaoke for the first time she goes to a movie theater in Shibuya uh, she then goes to a Starbucks for the first time because the closest one to her hometown was three hours away by bus so uh, we're getting all these nice little moments of her finding herself in Tokyo it really is interesting because on paper it doesn't look like a whole heck of a lot like it it's a story that a lot of people who are familiar with anime uh, will have probably come across at some point. But I think it really is the style 
of the show that kind of wins people over. It's got a very strong sense of what it is, and when the aesthetics are on point like that, it really is an easy-to-consume kind of show. And when your two leads are so likable, and I have to say I really love Mitsumi and Shima, they're both great. Mitsumi is played by Kurosawa Tomoyo, who was also Kumiko from Hibike Euphonium, and Shima is played by Egoshi Akinori, who hasn't done a lot of main role work, but has been kind of plugging away in some smaller roles, uh, and uh, he really fits the bill as this uh, kind of aloof, but uh, kind of nice, caring guy, um, really nice foil to uh, Mitsumi's kind of like uptight and genki kind of attitude. And because they play off each other so nicely, um, that's a really key component to any uh, romance story like this. You've got to like the two leads, and in this case, they win you over right away. And given that the first three episodes don't really introduce too much in the way of heavy plot elements, um, relying on that chemistry is kind of key. Um, the little tease that we get, I guess, is that in uh, the third episode, uh, Mitsumi looks to join the student council, and uh, she is told that she's kind of got to follow a different path to get there. She has to join this volunteer group that kind of supports the student council, known as the Tsubame Kai. Uh, so uh, that kind of gives you at least a little idea of what uh, Mitsumi might be working on uh, in the background, at least while her relationship with Shima kind of blossoms, is that uh, she's going to work her way towards maybe becoming a student council member down the line. Um, but that's really it when it comes to huge plot that we see. It's all kind of like vibes early on in the in in this series um and i think you know in this case it's kind of fine the chemistry between the main characters works and uh the supporting cast is strong there you know there are certain kind of stereotypical aspects to these characters so you know you can easily kind of read them but um it's all about mitsumi's interactions with them that kind of carries it forward and makes it kind of work. So it's a show that in its first three episodes does do a fair bit to give you a good sense of what this show is. So, and as I said from the start there, episode one really gives you everything that you need to know about the show. Uh, the episodes that follow two and three just kind of like fill in the world a little bit more and kind of like get you to kind of sink into the mood that the show is trying to uh, convey. So um, uh, a really solid outing in its first three episodes and uh, one that I would definitely recommend. Middle school is an awkward time for any kid. It's hormonal, confusing, and it's a time when imaginations run wild. You might even say ridiculous things like, the person I want to kill most is the girl I'm crushing on. And that is the premise of our next show, Boku no Kokoro no Yabai Yatsu, also known by its English title, The Dangers in My Heart. Boku Yaba comes to us from Shin A Animation, who also worked on Karakai Jozu no Takagi-san, uh, Teasing Master Takagi-san, and is also being helmed by that show's director, Akagi Hiroaki, 
And being a big fan of Takagi-san put Bokuyaba on my radar here. And when you combine that with scripts by Hanada Juki, who comes from Kyoto Animation, having worked on Chunibyo and K-On, as well as A Silent Voice, all based on a well-received manga written by Sakurai Norio, uh, it feels like all the pieces are in place for a hit here, and uh, I think after the first three episodes of this series, uh, it's hitting all the marks. So let's dig into what makes this series so special. Now, I'm not gonna lie, the first few episodes are a little bit rough, um, trying to capture that energy of what it's like to be a middle school kid. Um, it feels like the show is a bit lewd, a bit rough around the edges, and not quite as clean as some like rom-coms kind of start off the bat. This, there's, it's a bit dirty at times, and uh, it's one of the things that has turned off a lot of people uh, early on. It's a show where the first three episodes are a real test for the viewer. You have to kind of trust that all the pieces that you see are going to fall into place in the right way, and it's not going to go south completely. So it's it shows you a little bit of something, and you have to look at the people that are behind the show and kind of trust that the direction evens out if you know your first impression was one that uh, made you want to drop the show right away. So episode one opens up with our protagonist, Ichikawa Kyotaro, uh, having some delusional thoughts, talking about how his classmates are idiots, they're all vain and full of themselves, and then Ichikawa sets his sights on Yamada Anna, the girl in his class that he wants to kill the most. Yet, when their eyes meet across the classroom, Ichikawa quickly turns away. He's embarrassed something's not right and this is our first big hint that he's not really gonna try and kill anybody he's actually totally in love with this girl so Ichikawa retreats to the library his safe domain but he's not alone in the library Yamada also uses the library as an escape except uh, she prefers to use the library to snack away in private she cracks open a big bag of potato chips and starts working on some schoolwork and generally seems kind of like a, a big dork. Ichikawa was under the impression that Yamada was this pretty girl, she's a magazine model, and she's absolutely perfect, yet we get this kind of inside look at what she's really like, and that already sets Ichikawa off. He's like, who is this chick? So the series is giving us a really good look at our two main characters, Ichikawa and Yamada, and uh, one of the key locations where these two will meet up again in the future, the library. So in terms of setting up the world and setting up the characters, this first episode does a really good job of establishing kind of what the relationship dynamic of our two main characters is as it stands now, and just little hints about where we might be going with these two. And a lot of this first episode really takes place in Ichikawa's head. All of the thoughts that are going through it, uh, thinking about what his relationship to Yamada is, they, they've kind of hit it off with a little bit of chemistry, 
and it really throws him off. He gets really flustered. He's really nervous throughout the episode, and uh, he's just thinking that they're totally from different worlds. Why? Why do I even have any kind of feelings or thoughts towards this girl? He picks up a copy of one of the magazines that she's been featured in, and this just kind of further cements his idea in his head that they're from completely different planets. But it would be a waste to simply throw the magazine away, and the show is not at all subtle about Ichikawa using the magazine to jerk it. And I'm guessing that it's scenes like this that have kind of turned off some of the viewers. But where some viewers might be seeing this as unnecessarily crass, I kind of think that it shows a, a painful authenticity that this is a middle school boy whose hormones are raging. And what I think that Bokuyaba does so well is it cuts these kind of more lewd, etchy kind of moments with like genuinely heartfelt moments of Ichikawa realizing his feelings for Yamada and in the case of episode one here, doing something completely out of character to kind of save Yamada from this uh, senpai who is uh, aggressively hitting on her. We get these big dramatic swells of music from composer Ushio Kensuke, who worked on uh, A Silent Voice, Liz and the Bluebird, and more recently Chainsaw Man. And when this music hits, I completely forget about any of the little etchy stuff that might you know rub someone the wrong way um and it's just it becomes like such a sweet little romance episode two takes us back to the school library and uh, ichikawa once again kind of spying on yamada still certain that he actually wants to murder her. Yamada's snack today is the kind of unusual neru neru neru, which is a powder that you add water to to make this kind of like fruit flavored whipped uh, snack creation. And uh, with Yamada being such a klutz, she keeps spilling the little water cup that she needs to uh, use to uh, create the, the candy itself. And it's here that we see that Ichikawa's actions from episode one uh, weren't simply a one-off, uh, that he kind of wants to help Yamada out when he can. And so in this case, he runs off to get a, a cup for her to hold the water in. Um, but uh, she solves the, the issue with the candy soon enough, and uh, he has to try and pass it off as, oh, he was just looking for a cup of water for himself, actually. So what you start to notice in episode two is that there are going to be more of these sweeter moments of relationship building, that all of the etchy stuff is just kind of like the background it's it's the setting of this series it's 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 middle school so there's going to be a lot of kind of talk in the background about stuff but that's that starts to kind of fade away as we focus in on the two main characters and their kind of awkward budding relationship with that said there is still some degree of tonal whiplash as we go from a scene in the classroom where the boys are trying to sneak a peek at the girls bras underneath their shirts to a heartwarming scene where Ichikawa 
covers for a fellow classmate taking the blame for accidentally writing Yamada's name on a tombstone prop for the cultural festival Haunted House. And I really think it's here in episode two that our voice actors start to give us a little bit more with the characters. Horie Shun, who I really liked as Enta in Sarazanmai, uh, is Ishikawa here. And I think he's doing a great job of kind of giving us both sides of Ishikawa. The delusional but more assured inner monologue contrasted nicely with the awkward, shy, nervous Ichikawa that uh, Yamada sees. And talking about Yamada, played by Yomiya Hina, uh, in her first big kind of role, I think, here, which is pretty impressive, um, she has to balance both sides of Yamada here, the kind of popular girl, model, on one side who kind of acts a certain way, and then the like snack hoarding kind of goofball that uh, Ichikawa sees in the library. So strong work from both of our lead actors here, which is really great. So the first two episodes have done a really good job of laying that foundation, uh, setting the tone, giving us some good character bits. And uh, episode three is where we really start to move things forward. This has to be the episode that really pulls in the viewers that might have been on the fence otherwise. So again, we have to kind of navigate that tonal whiplash that's going on in the first few episodes here. The A part of this episode being a little bit on the etchy side, um, but the B part bringing home kind of like some bigger, chunky story elements. This is the first episode where Ichikawa really gets a look at what Yamada's life is like outside of school. The pressures that she faces as a model kind of coming to the fore here when she suffers an injury uh, during gym class. And Ichikawa just happens to hear uh, a phone conversation that Yamada is having with her mother about how this might affect her future job prospects. So this popular but also kind of goofy girl has these very adult responsibilities already in her life. and. Ichikawa is just kind of like thrown completely for a loop uh, by this kind of side of Yamada that he, he, he learns about here. And it's in this episode that he realizes that he's really fallen for Yamada. So when it comes to the first three episodes doing enough to really pull the viewer in, I think that this show does a good job of that. The tone is well established, we get some level of character development, and the plot is kind of put into motion. And I mean, I think that what we get in these first three episodes, it, there's a lot to like. Um, I think that Ichikawa is very relatable. His awkward energy, his uh, swirling thoughts, uh, he feels like a middle school kid to me so that's really working for me uh the direction has been really solid the music has been outstanding hitting just at the right moments there um so if you can tolerate some of the pervy vibes that the show kind of puts off at times uh what you'll find is that underneath all of that is a really sweet little romance here and uh i think it's probably worth your time
So for our next show, we're going to be moving out of middle school and out of high school as well into the rare college territory uh, with the show Yamada-kun toreberu kyu haku kyuju kyu no koyo suru, otherwise known as My Love Story with Yamada-kun at level 999. This series comes to us from Madhouse, one of the best anime studios in the biz and is directed by Asuka Morio, who worked on Chihaya Furu, as well as Cardcaptor Sakura, and uh, scripts by Nakanishi Yasuhiro, who wrote for Kaguya-sama. So, some pretty good pedigree here. It's also worth noting that the art director is Shimizu Tomoyuki, who also worked on Chihaya Furu and Cardcaptor with Asuka Morio. So it's cool to see some folks who have worked together, they have that history, and the um, aesthetic, I would say, with Yamada-kun here, uh, it does kind of resemble Chihaya Furu in, in a way, so there's that kind of uh, going for it. And Yamada-kun at level 999 comes to us from the manga by Mashiro, their first big hit manga, so pretty cool to see it turned into an anime as well. This series is categorized as shoujo, and it seems like it's kind of straddling that line uh, between shoujo and maybe like jose, kind of being a bit more of an older focus. Uh, it probably has to do with the fact that um, our main character, Akane, is actually college-aged, which uh, should make this a bit more of an interesting show to tackle. So let's get into it. What is My Love Story with Yamada-kun at level 999 all about? Episode 1 opens up with Kinoshita Akane getting dumped by her boyfriend. He's uh, found another woman online in the game world that they both uh, frequent. And uh, Akane is completely uh, heartbroken, caught off guard, doesn't know what to do, is kind of in shambles. Uh, they've been playing what looks to be kind of a generic MMORPG style game called Forest of Savior. Um, and after getting dumped, Akane decides to log in and uh, play for a little while, where she runs into uh, Yamada in-game. Players in this game seem to chat only via text, and uh, Yamada is very slow uh, at replying. Uh, Akane is trying to get anything out of this guy, and he's just stonewalling her at every turn. It's a bit frustrating for her because she just wants to kind of like, you know, vibe out and, and, and hang out in the game, and uh, Yamada's making this pretty difficult with his kind of uh, aloof approach. As she's logging off for the day, Akane notices that there's going to be an uh, event for the game uh, near to where she lives, and uh, so she puts together a little plan to uh, really, you know, look her best at the event because she figures that her boy ex-boyfriend is going to be there, and she wants to uh, make it seem like uh, everything is just A-OK -okay with her. So she attends the event looking, you know, pretty stylish, and uh, of course her ex-boyfriend is there. But unfortunately, the new girl has already got her arm around him, and this kind of sets uh, Akane back a little bit. She uh, realizes that she's not ready for all of this. She's still kind of wallowing in despair over the end of the relationship, so uh, uh, she's kind of reeling from this when she uh, then accidentally bumps into this mysterious uh, tall stranger. 
Akane notices that this guy kind of speaks with the same mannerisms and speech patterns as Yamada from the game world. And she thinks, this this guy, I think I know this guy. And uh, as he's kind of walking away after their little in encounter, uh, she calls out to him. And sure enough, he responds, and yeah, it's, uh, it's Yamada from the game. And it's here that Akane kind of cooks up a little plan where she convinces Yamada to play the role of her new boyfriend. And so they're giving away rare items for this Forest of Savior game at this in-person event. And uh, in exchange for playing the role of her new boyfriend, uh, Akane is going to give Yamada her rare item that she receives uh, at the event. So they kind of, you know, agree to the terms there, and then they uh, go out for a meal afterwards, and Yamada just keeps this, like, weird, cold, distant uh, approach. He just seems very disinterested in Akane as she kind of, like, vents to him, explains the whole boyfriend situation, and uh, uh, he seems, like, totally nonplussed about the whole thing. So for a rom-com, it's really starting off on an awkward foot here with Akane still definitely not over the ex-boyfriend and uh, Yamada just not interested in dating at all. He even says as much, you know, which is kind of interesting uh, for a character to not immediately be like super into romance. Um, so we'll see where that goes, if that kind of breaks down. But um at least at the start here, you're kind of like, these these two have, like, no chemistry. How is this going to work out? They only sort of know each other through the, the game world. Uh, so where does the relationship start? Akane excuses herself to use the restroom, and when she returns, finds that Yamada-kun is gone. She figures he's pieced out entirely, just bored to death of her. But uh, he actually returns a short while later, and he's run off to get some band-aids for her because uh, of a fall that she took earlier in the day. Uh, and so this little kind of like chivalrous act, I guess, uh, gives Akane kind of like this first hint that this guy might not be so bad. Um, he still seems pretty disinterested, uh, but they stay for another couple rounds. She is pounding back the beers, and uh, he's just sitting and sipping cola. Flash forward to Akane waking up in a strange bed, and she comes to the realization that she is in Yamada's bed. It turns out nothing happened between the two of them. Uh, she just was pissed drunk, and he had to drag her to his place so that she could just sleep it off. He uh, cleans her clothes, uh, and uh, he just kind of hangs out, plays video games with some friends while uh, she kind of comes to her senses and recovers, uh, and uh, she uh, quickly leaves a little bit embarrassed. Um, so it's here that I really started to get a sense that this show is giving us something that we don't normally see too much of in the world of anime, and that's like a, a college-age character who's kind of going through it. They had maybe some plans for what their future was going to look like. I'm sure that Akane thought that uh, the ex-boyfriend was going to be the one, and uh, they were just going to get married, have kids, do all that business, and uh, you know, life just throws her a complete curveball here with him dumping her, and you know, what do you do in that situation? You, I don't know, you vent and then you go off and you have way too many beers one night, you know, like this, this is stuff that actually happens. And, uh, this show does a good job of kind of like really showing us that, yeah, Akane is 
not really in the best headspace right now so it's a pretty like honest and kind of real situation that I'm sure a lot of folks young folks find themselves in at one point or another and while it is kind of like played up for laughs a little bit the whole misunderstanding of you know ending up in a strange man's bed but it does kind of hit that serious note as well the like what am I doing right now I've got to figure some stuff out here so episode two gives us a little bit more of Akane kind of wallowing over the ex-boyfriend, you know, a gift that she received, and just kind of these little hang-ups that she still has about the relationship. Um, Akane runs into Yamada at the nearby train station where he's being confessed to by a girl but doesn't even realize that the guy is so oblivious. Yamada refuses and the poor girl kind of uh, slinks off and uh, then Akane approaches and uh, they have a little chat about things and um, when they reach the exit of the train station uh, it started to rain and Akane is without umbrella. Uh, so Yamada lends her his umbrella. So Yamada is quickly building up points here uh, for being a, an all-around good guy. And then we get a little scene later on where Akane's mother has uh, shipped all of the things out of Akane's childhood room, uh, leaving Akane's small apartment crammed full of all kinds of boxes, all kinds of memories and things. And uh, it's here that Akane calls her friend Momo and uh, Momo kind of sets her straight, helps her sort through all of these boxes, throw out the things that she doesn't need anymore, kind of, you know, symbolically, she starts to realize that she can part ways with some of the things that her ex-boyfriend bought for her and, and whatnot, and so she's learning kind of a valuable lesson here. But that's not gonna stop Akane and Momo from hitting the town and uh, throwing a few back. And after one too many, they end up at Yamada's apartment uh, to return the umbrella. But uh, really, I think uh, Akane's probably been talking about Yamada a fair bit, and uh, Momo wants to see what this guy's all about. Um, so, uh, poor Yamada, he opens the door, it's like two in the morning or something, and, uh, they're just absolutely smashed, uh, but, uh, you know, he puts up with them and their kind of, you know, dumb, silly drunkenness, and, uh, invites Akane to, uh, maybe log in and, uh, play Forest of Savior with him, uh, sometime, and she, you know, thinks it's a pretty good idea, because this guy's alright. Episode 3 gives us another kind of like more adult focused um, activity where um, Akane and Momo head out on a group date with two guys from their university. Um, it's clear that Akane is still hung up on the ex and isn't ready to date in any meaningful way. So that goes over like a lead balloon. But um, the main event in this episode is that the Forest of Savior guild members decide to meet up IRL. So Akane's a little bit uh, nervous about this whole thing because she's never done a meetup before, um, but at least she knows Yamada, so he, she knows he's gonna be there. Can't be all bad. And she is actually excited to meet the guild master, Rurihime, uh, who's really ganky, really keen in game, um, likes to is willing to listen to uh, Akane when she's kind of been you know going through her tough times. So 
Uh, Akane feels like they're gonna hit it off right away, but when she gets to the meetup, the girl that she thinks is Rurihime is in fact not, and uh, it is uh, strongly implied as the credits roll at the end of the third episode that uh, this guy that she happened to meet on the way there is in fact Rurihime, uh, so a little bit of a play on the idea that uh, online personas can be very different from uh, who someone is uh, IRL. And that's kind of it after the first three episodes. So, you know, unlike some of the other shows that we're covering in this week's episode here, this one leaves you with not as strong an idea of where this series is going. It's really just getting started. Um, the romance between Akane and Yamada isn't really strong in any kind of way yet it just seems like they're kind of friendly um the series isn't like breaking the bank with the animation budget but everything looks pretty decent character designs are pretty good while Yamada has got this kind of stilted detached kind of delivery to all of his lines here um it's still pretty good work from Uchiyama Koki and with Akane being voiced by Minase Inori uh you've got like two heavy hitters uh in your lead roles here so uh just hearing their solid performances uh really elevates the kind of the material pretty well but um after the first three it's a little bit hard to judge this show because it feels like there are so many ways that it can kind of go here. Are they going to focus on the online game aspect? Is that where the relationship's going to really take off? Is it going to be more IRL stuff like this meetup thing? Is Yamada going to turn around and start to open up to Akane here? Is Akane going to get her life together? Like it doesn't really give us any kind of sense at this point where which direction it could go um which is kind of a problem if you are only kind of considering these first three episodes it might not do enough for you to kind of hook you in because uh, it's a little bit open-ended at this point i think there could be some really interesting stuff focused on what it's like to be a single college girl um it's not something that is covered as often in anime or manga uh, so seeing something other than a high school relationship is kind of exciting. There is a lot that the show could dig into, you know? There's a fair amount of pressure placed on young women at the college age to kind of lock down a man and do the whole family thing. So, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of navigate that kind of traditional Japan, um... I don't know, societal quirk, I guess. And if perhaps there could be some critique there that, you know, that isn't the only way to go about doing things. Maybe Akane and Yamada's relationship can go in a different direction and be something a little less traditional. Who knows? Uh, we don't really know after the first three episodes, so we're going to have to either, you know, stick it out and see what happens or, or you drop it at this point. You'll never really know. So let's finish off this week's episode with uh, what I would say is kind of a perfect example of the thesis of this entire podcast of following anime's golden rule. Uh, Kimi wa Hokugo Insomnia, Insomniacs After School, based on the manga by Ojiro Makoto, in its first three episodes gives you kind of everything that you need to know about the show. It sets the tone, it gives you the characters, it gives you kind of like an idea of what is going to happen a little later on in the plot, and um, everything about 
the atmosphere, the music, it, the vibes are just right on this one. So uh, let's kind of dig into it and see uh, what we think. So Insomniacs After School uh, focuses on two high school aged kids who suffer from insomnia. Uh, episode one kicks off with uh, introduction to Nakami Ganta, our male lead, who has just been through another sleepless night. Starts to hear the uh, morning sounds of uh, people puttering about outside, dogs barking, going out for a walk, and uh, he's uh, kind of dreading another day of living his sleepless life. So what you notice right off the bat with Insomniacs After School is that the aesthetics are really polished. Um, and when we look at who's kind of working on things behind the scenes, it becomes pretty clear why uh, the show kind of pops like it does. Uh, the art director is Onishi Tatsuro, who came up through the ranks at Kyoto Animation, uh, working on shows like Hibike Euphonium, uh, bits and pieces of free as well as uh, a silent voice so lots of work in kind of like the high school realm there uh, so it makes sense why this show in a high school setting uh, kind of hits and um, equally and I would say maybe even stronger uh, is uh, the music uh, Hayashi Yuki is delivering the soundtrack for this one here um, he's got some nice credits to his name having worked on Haikyuu um, he's doing work for My Hero Academia, uh, Death Parade, Kids Neighbor. So some pretty solid uh, work in the catalog there. Um, and what uh, Hayashi is able to do um, is for each little scene in the show, it's got a little piece of music to go with it that just fits the scene perfectly. And for a show that is about the vibes, um, having... All your little tracks kind of like match up to a scene and really amplify it and, and just give you that cozy feeling um, is really key and so Hayashi Yuki does a really good job of that and it was a real standout like early on you're like this this doesn't sound like your typical anime soundtrack this sounds like someone's put in some effort on it um, so between those two and um, the director is Ikeda Yuki and uh, scripts by Ikeda Rintaro, and uh, neither of them have done too much. Um, uh, Ikeda Rintaro uh, wrote some scripts for Poco's Udon World, which is also kind of like a vibes show, and so it's not surprising that uh, the vibes are carrying over on this one as well. But, um, you know, some kind of like newer talent kind of getting a chance to really shine here, and... Um, early on it's really paying off so the first episode does a really good job of kind of setting the scene for us uh getting us invested in the characters uh, which is what kind of what you're looking for in the first episode it's got to kind of lay out what what the show kind of is and uh, we go through a typical day uh in school with nakami uh there's some kind of cultural festival event going on the kids are all preparing for something and uh nakami's just trying to look for a place to you know take a quick nap he gets called out for it and uh this is where we get to see that some of his classmates think he's a bit of a weirdo he's kind of that outcast in the class um because he hasn't told anybody about his insomnia and so they just kind of think he's uh, strange um the only person that he has told about the insomnia is his childhood friend ukegawa who we meet next 
Uh, so it's nice to introduce this character at this point. Uh, we get to kind of see a little bit more about what Nakami's world is like. And Ukigao's a really nice guy. He's your typical kind of like Genki friend who's uh, just wants the, uh, the best for his bro. And then it's here that uh, Nakami uh, then makes his way up to the uh, school's observatory, which houses the uh, very expensive looking telescope. Um, he notices that the observatory, which has been, you know, closed off to the students for some time, uh, the door is ajar. Uh, he's a little curious. He, he walks in and uh, first kind of just like, you know, is amused at uh, all the junk that has kind of been piled up in the observatory from uh, other classrooms and, and whatnot. Um, and then to his surprise, there's someone uh, in the observatory uh, taking a nap. It's... Um, Magari Izumi, our female lead. Uh, so here's kind of the big encounter between our two leads. Um, and uh, there's like a little bit of awkwardness at first. And uh, it doesn't take them long to get to the point about both kind of suffering from insomnia and that uh, this observatory that no one seems to go to might be a nice little hangout for. Uh, for a couple of people that just need a need a break from uh, the school day. So this is the part of the episode where our characters get to know each other a little better, which is kind of a key component uh, for any first three episode viewer, uh, is you want to start to get invested in your characters. And this show does a really good job of kind of showing you kind of how these two interact with each other early on. You can tell that they are so relieved to have found someone who's kind of in a similar position to them. Um, and so they become fast friends. One of the questions that comes up between the two of them is, how do you spend the long and boring nights when you can't uh, get a wink of sleep? And uh, Nakami talks about reading all kinds of books. Uh, he listens to podcasts. He, he does anything he can to try and, you know, lull himself to sleep, but nothing seems to work. Um, and so... Uh, they kind of think it might be a good idea to just kind of hang out one night and uh, kind of walk around the city. And this is where we get a lot of really nice shots of uh, a kind of like a quiet seaside town at night. Um, really nice little background work. Um, the music is right on point. Um, it's really it's a really fun kind of cozy uh, scene here. Um, we get a little bit more information on Magari. She kind of opens up a little bit, talks about... Uh, her childhood, how she was a bit of a frail kid growing up, hospital visits every now and then. So we get these little tidbits about each character that gets us invested in kind of who they are. And uh, in a first episode, what you're really looking for is to kind of build that world out. Uh, the setting has got to kind of pop uh, your characters, you got to be invested in the characters, um, and so when we get into the second episode, which is going to focus more on kind of what the driving plot is going to be for the show, um, we're already in a good place about how we feel about the vibes, how we feel about how the show looks, how it sounds, and who our characters are. So, um, as a first episode, it does a really good job of establishing all of those things, um, and so when we get into episode two, um, we're kind of ready to go, okay, so now what? What is this show going to be about, actually? 
so Nakami and Magari are trying to keep their friendship on the down low. Uh, they don't want anyone to find out that they're using the observatory as kind of their secret base, um, but unfortunately someone does find out, and that is Kurashiki-sensei, one of the teachers at the school. Um, so the ultimatum that they're given is that they'll have to resurrect the astronomy club if they're going to be allowed to keep using the observatory as their kind of, you know, club room, as it were. And um, so this is kind of like the main plot that's going to be driving, you know, the character growth and whatnot uh, as we go through the story. Um, they're given these kind of like tasks down the road. Um, things are going to have to do if they're going if their club is going to be seen as legitimate, if the club is going to be funded going forward. Um, so it kind of is a really good way to set up what is going to happen and how ha and, and give our characters a chance to, you know, use those kind of main plot points to build their kind of character relationship. Um, and so again, this is a really great example of a second episode that kind of lets you know what the trajectory of the show is going to be from here on out so you can kind of start to see where the show is going and if you are just kind of focused on the first three episodes of a show uh, having an episode that really does set up the plot uh, is really important and so this show does a really good job of setting that up for the viewer um, you have a good idea of that of the goals for our characters that being the astronomy club being kind of resurrected here so that's going to be always ongoing and uh, we're just gonna have to see how nakami and magari get there um what you start to see uh, at this point is the kind of chemistry between our two leads nakami and magari are really starting to vibe they're presented really well they're awkward they're goofy uh, the chemistry is just really good between them like they finally found someone who they can really relate to no one knows what living in this insomnia world is like and so they finally kind of found someone they can really rely on and um so the chemistry is starting to build and it's really nice and then episode three just kind of like builds on all of what we've seen before uh so we get a little bit more character development uh we're introduced to shiromaru who is a former astronomy club member uh now graduated and uh so they've got that kind of like a, a senpai to rely on to learn things from so they can start to you know build their skill set and uh become better uh astronomers i guess um and so we're introduced to more of the cast. We have uh, Kurashiki Sensei kind of filling in Nakami on like what it's really going to take for them to, you know, be seen as a legitimate club in the school. So the wheels are really kind of in motion when it comes to the plot. Um, but what episode three is really doing for us here is getting us back to the chemistry of our two leads. Uh, Nakami and Magari are spending a lot of time together. And people are starting to pick up that, you know, there might be a little hint of something romantic here. And so we've, in episode one, set the scene, giving you a kind of a rough look at our characters. Episode two has given us the plot, what's going to happen in the show. And then episode three is diving into the characters even deeper here. And so giving you just enough of a hook with their relationship uh, to want to kind of keep going, see where it goes. And like, I have to say, I want to see where this goes. Everything about this show really is a vibe. There's a lot of great romance uh, shows on the docket this uh, this season, but something about 
the way this one is just a little bit more laid back. Um, it fits into that like slice of life, Iashkike kind of um, just really cozy vibe show. Yurukamp, Nonombiori, those types of shows. It's uh, although those are more slice of life, and this one does feel like it's gonna focus a bit more on the romance angle. Um, it's just it's just such a cozy good show and it just delivers on all fronts it looks great um the characters are interesting the music is phenomenal it really pulls you in nicely to every scene and i just think that the music in a show can do so much work and in this case it it helps you kind of connect with the show emotionally um and I just had a lot of fun watching these uh, these first three episodes, so it absolutely did the trick, and I'm going to keep watching it, um, and I think that you should too. So today we looked at four romance anime that each brought something different to the table. The top-notch aesthetics and assured style of Skip and Loafer, the etchy and sweet combo that somehow works in Dangers in My Heart finding love as a college student, and kind of a hot mess as well, in Yamada-kun 999, and the charming characters and all-around vibes of Insomniac's After School. Now, I'll admit, I'm not really much for romance anime, but uh, something about this season, uh, bringing in all the like, big guns here, apparently. I found something to like in each of the four shows we feature here today. I feel like uh, Insomniacs After School is probably the vibe that I enjoy the most. Skip and Loafer is probably a close second for me there. Um, just, it's so, it's so much fun to watch. I feel like I must have like the stupidest grin on my face. Watching Mitsumi and Shima interact with one another is just like great chemistry between the two of them. It's super cute. But uh, don't count out Bokuyaba. I've gotten over the tonal whiplash we have between some of the kind of lewd stuff and then the really heartfelt moments here, but those heartfelt moments are so big and the the score accompanying it is so good that like it's worth it for those moments. And then Yamada-kun is the one that I'm most on the fence about. Um, it feels like there could be something really interesting here or it could not really deliver it the first three episodes didn't really give me a strong enough sense uh so i'll probably keep watching it but i'm a little bit apprehensive about it so that'll about wrap things up here for the first episode of the first three anime podcast uh thank you so much for tuning in and hopefully we'll see you on the next one